Hey, listen up. Yeah, we here and we locked in. Let's keep it going all the way to the top ten. We feel the turtle, so it's no other option. Fred and Ryan, just watch them. Let's take it to the max. It's the shell and tell. They come with all the facts. It's the shell and tell. Let's take it to the max. It's the shell and tell. They come with all the facts. It's the shell and tell. What's up, everybody? Fred Ryan back for another episode of the Shell and Tell Podcast. It's Sunday, December 6th. As uh, It's been a few weeks since we've done this. Uh, we've had a lot of cancellations along the way of this college football season, uh, but this seems to be kind of the MO of 2020. Yeah, I mean, we need something to pull us out of the funk of this uh, 2020 season. I see what Pun you did intended. there. <laughs> We got Mr. or Dr. Josh Funk on the episode today uh, to discuss his unique view on this season, both as the uh, physical therapist who helped uh, Jake Funk with his rehab and also just the fact that he's one of the few hundred people in the country that got to see Big Ten football live this year. Yeah, definitely unique perspective. Well-spoken guy. Can't thank Josh enough for taking the time to sit down with you, kind of go in an in-depth conversation. Before we get to the Josh interview, let's let's kind of take a look and diagnose this 2020 season uh, or lack thereof. We're, we're sitting at two and two on the year, four games into where we should be seven games in seven. at this point. Yeah, uh, I've had a couple of games canceled due to COVID. Yeah, I mean, two canceled on our own parts, one canceled on their part, and that's what we're sitting here. It's like I you make plans every Saturday. It seems like with my luck, every Saturday I work, we have a game. Every Saturday I'm off, we don't. That's how that's how my year's been going. Right. Uh, but uh, you know, we've we've seen the highs and the lows. Obviously, we started the year against Northwestern with a shellacking. Yeah. Um, we had the preseason hype train. We all we always get excited in the, in the off season because if you don't get excited in off season. Are you a fan? Right. Like you have to be unrealistic until the season starts. And that halted quickly. Yeah. Um, we saw uh, Talia get, throw, I think, three interceptions in that first game. Everything was falling apart around him. But both of us really did state that we saw potential. It yeah. was not they were risk-taking interceptions. It was not lack of talent. The ball was going where he wanted it to go. He just shouldn't have thrown it there. That's exactly right. <laughs> it wasn't a talent thing to me. It was just a poor decision. Uh, maybe it was the nerves of it being his first collegiate start. Uh, there's a lot that kind of factored into that. And obviously, uh, you know, we don't know what all the limitations were with with practice and whatnot. They didn't know who the starter was going to be up until about a week right prior to the first game. Uh, yeah, they didn't tell us until the, until the minute of. It was supposed to be uh, Lance Tagovailoa was, right. <laughs> was the announced starter. Right. <laughs> but then he bounced back, man. The very next week, uh, going into to, uh, to uh, Minnesota, And really lighting things on fire through for almost 400 yards in that game. Three touchdowns. He did have one pick. Uh, so a big for big 70 game. yards. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then Jake Funk went absolutely nuts as well. The whole team looked great. Yeah. And that was, we had that backwards. We thought Northwestern was be the much easier game. Right. Game. turns out it's pretty true. Minnesota was the easier game. Northwestern's looked very good throughout the year. So that loss isn't quite as bad as we thought it was when it happened. Right. Then we head into the third week of the season. 
uh, going up to Pennsylvania to take on Penn State and the Nittany Lions. This is a game, even though Penn State at the time had been struggling, you know, it's a team that we lost last year, 50-something to nothing, and a total embarrassment at home, right? This is uh, our quote-unquote rival uh, in the Big Ten, if you can say that we have a rival in the Big Ten with the little bit of time that we've been there. Um, but, you know, I tell you what, Talia, this team came out, put the foot to the pedal, end up beating the Nittany Lions 35-19. to Big game. Yeah, absolutely huge. I mean, you can't you can't stress how much it is for a program builder yeah. to, to put your footstep on the on the DMV that we're not just going to get walked over every year. You can come here and show off against some of your buddies that are playing at these rival schools nearby. Um, so you can't you can't overstate that. And and obviously, great to get that monkey off our back. Even just we hadn't scored a touchdown in three years against them. Right. So it's it, it, it was it was very very big. So we're all going why not for ohio state the next week why not right and why not was covid yeah <laughs> the, the i guess the, the the elephant in the room the thing that we've been worried about all year was how would covid impact this terp squad uh would it impact us in this shortened season uh and it reared its ugly head week four right prior to the ohio state game as we had a total of around i think it was somewhere around 20 to 25 players that were affected by this virus uh, and then with the Big Ten having the rules that they have it, the way it's laid out, they got a quarantine for 21 days. Yeah, and so we missed the Ohio State game um, for our number of players, uh, which, you know, would have been really, really tough win. Yeah. The next week we miss uh, Michigan State, which with the year they had, we really wanted to play that squad. Right. I mean, it, at worst, that's a 50-50 game. I think we probably had a better chance of that. I would have felt uh, very confident going into that game. I would have really liked to see that game this year. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we did not have that chance. And then we go into Indiana very shorthanded because because it's 21 days. None of our players were eligible that had became positive, which ended up being, I think it was 23. Like you said, somewhere between 20 and 25 players yeah. um, were not eligible. Now, until that point, and still to this point, they have announced who any of those players are. But from the inactives list, it's very clear who these players were. And right. from people that have, we've talked to, the order of them have been pretty clear. Yeah. So uh, we lost some big players. I mean, Jake, Jake Funk was one of them. Uh, Rakeem Jarrett wasn't playing. Deshaun Jones wasn't playing. Nick Cross wasn't playing. Tahib still wasn't playing. So you're talking your number one safety, your number one cornerback, your number one running back, your number four wide receiver. And then we find out game game day that your number, number two four receiver, receiver. <laughs> or three. Well, technically on the depth chart, Rakeem is number four. I don't uh, believe it, but that's what he is. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that's listed. a formality. <laughs> that is a formality a hundred percent um but yes you have dante demas who did play and um yeah brian cobb cobbs cobbs is the other uh starting receiver that was able to play yeah. obviously we did have some depth that came up and stepped up pretty well behind him um but without deshaun jones without rakeem jarrett you could tell that talia had put the pressure on himself to win that game yeah and i think even beyond that uh you know losing johnny jordan that's a big piece in the middle Huge. of your offensive line there and we had talked about you know going into this season, the test of how good this offensive line was going to be as a unit collectively when they're healthy, but yet alone when they've got some challenges or maybe they have an injury or somebody goes down due to COVID, what was this depth going to look like? And I'll be honest with you, I was pretty impressed the way they played against this Indiana team. Listen, Indiana was number 12 in the country We went, when we go in there. We do lose the game 27-11, to 11, uh, but I think a couple of those scores were due to bad turnovers, uh, caused by, I think, some of the nerves from Talia, like I said, not having some of his big targets out there, and then just the comfort 
of not having his top, his starting center out there uh, for that game, I think was a big factor for him. Yeah, and I think there was even one more lineman missing. I think Moran didn't play either. Um, right. there was, so there was, it, was a, it was a patchwork squad on both offense and defense. When you're missing 23 players, it's going to be. Um, it was very impressed, especially how the defense played in that yeah. game. We were, I mean, at halftime, we were fully into it. I, I can't remember, seven to three or something at halftime. Um, they, they, they played great. Uh, I questioned why we would play this game. I was, we have, we're in a group chat with, you know, some big time fans and people connected to the, to the program. Right. And I said, why, why would you subject this team to the number 12 team in the country missing 23 players? Right. And, and the answer from uh, Ben Page, who's a, a big, a big fan of the show and the Terps, obviously right. was development. And he's a hundred percent right. Like, we, they get an extra week of practice. They got to play and it could be exposed to Big Ten play. And it's unbelievable how much further ahead we are on depth than I thought we were. Like, right. I knew we had some talent on this team, but I thought that we that that was the problem is that our depth wasn't there yet because we hadn't had years to stack this talent. And that showed a lot, a lot of gusto to play that well. Uh, 100% agree with you. So, so kind of staying with uh, building talent and stockpiling talent. Right. I think a lot of questions going into this year were, should there even be a season? Would this be beneficial for the Terps to even have a football season? I know you and I kind of went back and forth on this. A lot of fans in that chat room went back and forth on this. And I have to say, sitting here at two and two, a hundred percent, a hundred and fifty percent, this was well worth the Terps having this season because what this did is this put the Terps on a platform, let them show the world uh, the direction of where this program's going going in, uh, what the future at some skill positions look like, the quarterback position, the wide receiver position, the, the difference that we've had from last year to this year on the defensive side of the ball. There's been a lot of improvements, and we've seen that on the local commits and starting to see some players really ger- kind of generate interest towards the Terps program. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to get into the argument of whether it was right to have a season for health benefits, right. for financial. This is the question of there were a lot of talking heads that stated Maryland skipping the entire season would help them in the long run in recruiting in these things because of how bad we were going to be this year. Right. That's what a lot of the talking heads out there were talking about. Well, they were wrong. We can you can you can have a conversation about the rest of it, but they were wrong. This team has shown up and showed out that this is heading in the right direction. We were talking about hopefully getting three to four wins playing nine games. That's what our projections were. We're looking at getting three games or three wins playing what? Five games, five games. (laughs) That's that's that's. So why would you, why would you not take that? I mean, there's still a chance that we play three more games, right? If everything works out and Rutgers doesn't get canceled, I'm not going to count my chickens because nothing in this, this year has happened. It's supposed to, but we're supposed to play Rutgers, right? We're supposed to then get a crossover game. The way it's looking right now, we're playing to try to finish in the third spot in the big 10 East. So third spot, big 10 West is Iowa, Wisconsin range. So that would be our next matchup. And if you were to win that, you're talking about being four and two, going to a bowl game if there are bowl games. We've talked about, you know, we might end up being bowl eligible, but because California canceled all their bowls and others canceled because they didn't have enough money backed behind it, we may not get to actually go. I'm hoping it works out that we do get to go. But 
Um, either way, four and two finish sounds like something we would be very happy with any year. Right. Exactly. And then I know, like I said, one of our concerns was how would this 2021 class, which had been shaping up to be a really good class, uh, kind of either prosper or fall behind with a potential season this year? Would it be more beneficial to the program to just not have a season? Uh, well, we've seen some local commits reflip, uh, decommit, and then flip to the Terps over the last couple of days. And it starts with the state of New Jersey, a big couple of commits up there. Yeah, we had um, Amari Clark, wide number one wide receiver in New Jersey, had already committed in 2022. And then this weekend, uh, we had the number one linebacker out of New Jersey commit, uh, Nair Graham. 6'1", 195 pounds. Again, these guys are for the class of 2022. Uh, So some guys that are going to impact this university in the next two years, not quite next year. The early commitments are your best recruiters. That's what this comes down to. I mean, right. You look at 2021, Chop Youngbull has been keeping this yeah. this class in line. He's get, he's reaching out to his buddies. He's in people's ears of what they should be doing and like when their team they're committed to is doing poorly. Hey, boss, we still got a spot for you type stuff. Right. They're, the, the, the players aren't held to any rules when it comes to recruiting. They can do whatever they want because they're just a high schooler. They're not even actually signed or committed to the Terps yet. Right. So they can't violate terp rules so until signing day they can recruit however they please so if these guys are early if they're true and this is a very early commitment for both of them then that's how you start building classes it's nice to be reaching out in that new jersey area we already have been looking really well at home here in maryland and dc so to get this east coast under one lock would be a big big step in the right direction our 21 commitment was a a defensive tackle which is great because that was the bounce back flip out that's right that's the bounce back from the loss of marcus bradley uh and we get andre porter who was once committed to boston college a big guy, 6'3", 300 pounds to put there as a run-stuffing defensive tackle in the middle of the defense to pair with everybody else, the other four-star commits. I think we have, what, three four-star commits on the defensive line for 2021. You add him, who's a three-star, number 29 uh, in the nation as far as defensive tackles go. Uh, this defensive front's going to be nasty next year. Yeah, we're back to the top defensive line recruiting class in the country, which is what we were with Marcus Bradley, and we put stuck him in there, and we got it again. Right. So, um, you know, that's that's good. that's what we talked about building in the trenches, and this year, Locks has done an amazing job work, working the offensive line with the JUCO players, yeah. and then next year with the defensive lineman talent coming in, you've our trenches are light years ahead of where they were just a year ago. Right. Hundred percent agreed. This takes the class of 2021 back into the top 25 nationally. It puts them at number 23. Uh, And then prior to these two commits from New Jersey, the 22 class sits currently at 32. I know it's it's still early. That's going to change a lot over the next year and a half. Uh, But right now, before those two commits, we're top 32. So I assume that once Monday comes and the new rankings come out, this will put us probably in that top 25 as well. Yeah, I believe if the, that recruiting for 2022 is with that, without Nair Graham. So when Nair Graham's added in, that'll be in the top 25, I would imagine. Uh, it, and what, what, what else can you ask for? I mean, if Maryland's top 25 recruiting class every, every year, then you're going to get better results than we've seen. 100%. 100%. Well, that gives us a lot to be excited about for this upcoming 2021 class, the 2022 class. But unfortunately, we, we're in the now. We're 2020 still. At least for the next couple of weeks, anyway. We got to get through this craptastic of a year in 2020. Uh, hopefully, this is, is this is the end of it all. Um, but you know what? This this leads to 
the interview, our special guest in Dr. Josh Funk, which you kind of took the reins on this, man. You, you reached out to him and set this up, man. What, what kind of sparked the interest in bringing Josh on the show? I've been following Dr. Josh Funk on Twitter for a while, so I've been familiar. Um, he's retweeted a few things of the show, uh, so I felt kind of comfortable. Um, and then I saw him watching the Minnesota game in the stands, and uh, yeah. they, they zoomed in on him and talked about how, you know, that was Jake's family because Jake was going bonkers on the field. Right. Um, and that uh, they gave credit to Josh for the rehab um, of of Jake with his two ACL injuries. Now, Speaking with Dr. Josh Funk, as you'll see, he gives credit to lots of people. He's a very humble man. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure lots of people were involved. I'm sure the, 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 the team support helped as well. But it got me thinking that I could reach out to him for his individual perspective, not only during the rehab, but also he was one of a couple hundred people standing in those stands where I wanted to be. I wanted to be in section seven and he got to be very close by. So I, I just thought it would be interesting. I reached out to him, ended up being really bad timing. Because the week that I reached out uh, to Dr. Josh Funk was the week of Ohio State, which yeah. I thought was apropos because he's an Ohio State grad, played four years of uh, lacrosse up there for them, was a captain, played professional lacrosse. Um, so I thought maybe this would be a cool time to get an interview with him. Um, and little did I know that was the week that all the COVID outbreak, including right. his brother being an inactive, so assuming it's positive. Um so it, it, we kind of pressed pause and we got back to it just today. Um, it was actually supposed to be at 10 a.m., got pushed back one more time at 11, but for a really good reason for you fans, uh, Jake was there training this morning. So I got bumped by our, by our leading running back and I'm okay with that. So right now we'll kick it there and you'll hear him discuss that uh, workout this morning. Uh, I was good. Just a little, uh, you know, fine tuning, uh, more of an off day physically for him so we have tried to make sure that we're in a routine of hitting certain boxes obviously with regards to what goes on during a uh, a football week uh and many of the things that they're trying to accomplish there we just try to fill buckets that maybe aren't getting as much time attention obviously he's getting tons of uh on-field reps uh weight room reps um some stuff up in the training room there as well um just being able to spend a ton of time with him Honestly, over the course of the past year, and especially with uh, with them getting sent home for four or five months, um, I feel like just having such such familiarity with areas in which uh, we're just trying to keep him um, in, in in certain positions with regards to whether or not it's competencies that we value um, or other little things that we've just become aware of um, throughout this process. Yeah, I mean, most people would just be uh, trusting the Division One program, but with your family's background, I mean, you guys are the top of college athletics all the way through. Uh, you got your uh, father playing for uh, Penn State football, your grandfather Penn State basketball, uh, your mother was an uh, national champion swimmer and All-American, and your grandmother was one of the first female athletes at Penn State playing on the men's rifle team, or uh, I guess competing there. That's, yeah, it's, yeah. We've been uh, we've been pretty fortunate. And you could say that athletics, obviously, there's a you know, there's going to be a genetic component for sure. Um, yeah. But I think just some of the things that are emphasis uh, or emphasized just in the home, some of the what you call like, you know, your family culture uh, is, I think, has been important to that just being passed on generations and generations as well. Yeah, your effort and your motor. You're one of those uh, NFL draft motor guys, you know. <laughs> He's got a high motor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like when people say like high motor and somebody that's going to um, ideally maximize their potential, you're talking about somebody who has these professional tendencies, right? And I think those can be applied 
um, to a wide variety of different arenas. They're probably a big reason why people, when they retire from sport, end up being successful in other industries because they're able to take, you know, the way that they do everything and apply it to the way they do anything. I've heard that said vice versa. But I think at the end of the day, you know, we we, we have certain operating processes um, that we see among high achievers in all different avenues of society. Um, and we definitely have just been fortunate to have things passed on. I was, you know, people are always like, oh, well, thank your parents. Um, I'm also a big believer. Thank your grandparents, because you are a byproduct of the, the messaging um, and the things that got passed on from your grandparents to your parents as well. Yeah, that brings it back to you. I mean, you were a big time college athlete playing lacrosse four years at Ohio State, the captain over there, two years in professional lacrosse. And then you've transferred into a whole different arena as Dr. Josh Funk, a physical therapist at uh, Rehab to Perform. Uh, what made you pick that as your career choice post-athletics? I think for me, honestly, just loving what I saw. And it's like you mentioned all of the good things, obviously, that are going on at, at Maryland. I mean, you have an integrated uh, team. You have medical. You have athletic training. You have um, you know, your strength and conditioning coach. You've got position coach. You've got your coordinator all the way up to the head coach. And everybody's kind of in the same area. Um so to speak, with regards to, you know, ease of communication, um, very, very easy to, to have people uh, on a more synergistic level with regards to what needs to get done from a player management standpoint. And I think for me, always finding that when I got out to see more commercial models of not just like physical therapy, but just healthcare in general, sometimes just seeing big disconnects, more of a siloing, so to speak. So if I draw that parallel over to the football world, you having more of an environment where people are siloing themselves, they're not talking as much, there's not a sharing of information, um, a lot less collaboration. And I would say that's kind of how I would look at healthcare now where people, you know, you go to one specialist and then there's very, very little communication when you go over to this person. So this disconnect. And I think at the end of the day, that leads to outcomes that are not as ideal. So trying to put first, you know, an environment in place that looked a lot like a division one athletic setting. You know, we've got an environment that I'd say is a, a combination of the athletic training room, but then also a lot of the things on a micro level that you might see in the strength and conditioning fields, uh, facilities as well. Bumper plates, kettlebells, uh, turf, sleds, assault bikes, stuff that athletes are very, very familiar with. Obviously it's not the scale that you're going to get on a division one athletic setting, um, but the ability to have the environment is, is first and foremost very important. And then um, education to the staff. Hey, can we take this person beyond just being pain free? Do we know what performance actually looks like? Can we take what they need um, at the end stage of their sport with regards to certain performance variables and metrics and then reverse engineer what they need back to where they're at right now? So um, that's the, you know, the, the I'd say the, the big picture uh, view of it. Um, and then obviously there's a way to make sure that you've got synergy and coordination of care. I mean, if we talk about a situation with Jake, it's, you know, I've, I've gotten to know some of the people that he gets to work with up at Maryland fairly, uh, um, fairly well, whether or not it's the strength staff there, uh, the PTs who uh, pop in there from the University of Maryland as well, the athletic training staff, um, and then just being able to coordinate maybe some, some small things with, with Jake and when he was getting reintegrated to position specific work. So, um, being able to speak the same language obviously is, is important there as well, but it is, I mean, it's coordination of care, um, and ideally doing everything that you can to drive those ideal outcomes. 
I can uh, understand as a registered nurse the uh, healthcare disconnect, looking like uh, some health 3.0 ideas going on there at uh, Rehab to Perform, so I can appreciate that. Uh, yeah, man. I appreciate that. I didn't, I didn't know that. So Yeah. Um, so uh, the, with you being a big-time college uh, lacrosse player and Jake obviously being a big-time uh, running back, there had to be some competitive family atmosphere growing up. What were the other things outside of those sports that got you guys really juiced up and competitive? Man, I, I think, honestly, you're probably going to get more competition. Um, at least I think people probably view more competition than there actually is. Um, okay. I, I think if you look at our family, uh, incredibly supportive of one another. Um, I think if anything, we get on each other about routine more than anything. So it's less of outcomes. It's less of um, results. Um, and we'll push each other on whether or not somebody was doing what they set out to do. You know, if there's a gap in, in somebody, uh, you know, committing to a routine or doing what they need to do on a regular basis, it's an accountability piece. But I still even wouldn't view that as uh, competition as much. Um, it's not to say that intrinsically or maybe between the years, there's certain things going on. Um, obviously, if, if one sibling is achieving at a certain level, I think it's motivating for the others to, to see some of the things going on and, and maybe to emulate some of that. Um, being big brother, I always will say that I'm more of the, uh, I was like the test model, you know? So, um, I was the one that got to go through the, the trials and tribulations and, um, maybe, you know, blaze a path that hopefully is easier for, for, for the younger ones. But I'm um, at the end of the day, we're, we're our own biggest, uh, you know, we're, we're our biggest supporters in the house. Um, whether or not it's in person or through, you know, the, the connectivity of electronics, um, we, we've been able to just ideally be there and, and be more of an a, a accountability focused, uh, person rather than somebody that's focused on the com- uh, competition itself. So if you guys had like a freaky Friday situation where he had to play lacrosse and you had to play football, who's more successful? Man, that's, that's tough. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I always say, you know, from an athletic standpoint, like Jake was like, whatever I was 2.0, um, from a profile standpoint, very, very similar. Um, he just has a little bit more burst, a little bit more power than I did. Um, he easily could have played division one lacrosse. Um, I got recruited to play division one, double a football a little bit. So that was something where, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, uh, say that I would necessarily quite be at the level that he is. So Jake's been put on record that, uh, Penn state never thought he was good enough and, uh, seems to have a little spite on that. Do you got a team you were a little spiteful, didn't think you were good enough? I mean, I'll, I'll be very honest. I mean, I think for me, um, you know, the, the, the world of lacrosse is a little bit different in that you don't see a whole lot of uh, big money scholarship offers. Um, okay. So you're living more in the world of partials and academic and athletic money being paired together often. Um, Penn State probably viewed me more as a legacy and thought they'd be able to get me for a little bit less uh, of a financial commitment. Uh, and that probably was the dagger, to be quite honest. Um the ability to go somewhere um, and, a, and a competitor in a very, very similar uh, college environment um, for significantly less money made it an easy decision. And I don't know if that offer that was provided to me um, was a result of they just thought they'd be able to get me for a bargain. So um, in the back of my head, I, I love Penn State. I've had tremendous memories. Obviously, the fabric of my family can be attributed a lot to um, you know Penn State University. We I'm trying to think how many we have, might have 11 or 12 family members who went to Penn state. So it would be hard for me wow. really to say anything negative um, about the university in itself. But 
it just didn't present itself with the best possible opportunity for me. And the other day we beat them junior and senior year uh, of college, which I'll, I'll never forget. Um, especially senior year, like running their goalie out of the, uh, out of the cage and having them throw it back up because I mean, we were honestly just beating the brakes off of them. So um, <laughs> I like you have it. moments. Yeah. I mean, you have moments, moments kind of like where Jake did, where he got to go out and prove himself on that field that my, you know, my dad played on and honestly uh, compete against a team and a, a staff that, didn't provide him with any opportunity. I mean, I remember him going through the process and just sitting here and going, here you have a legacy that's doing a tremendous job in a neighboring state. I mean, not even a preferred walk-on offer. I mean, there was literally no communication. So um, that's something that we definitely, uh, you know, you don't, you don't forget stuff when people slight you a little bit. It's not to say that it's the thing that primarily fuels you, but it's certainly something that um, I think that, that, that you think about and you'll remember. Chip on your shoulder always helps. So I, I saw the I saw the Big Ten special, the journey. I only have one Power Five offer. Really cool with both you and Jake, and that came out yesterday. Actually, um, it mentioned the two games he got injured in, and you know, of course, I knew what games they were. But just looking back at them, it's it's sh- shocking to me with being the 2018 um, Ohio State game, the 2019 Temple game, that those already stuck out of, stuck out of my head as close and like depressing losses at the end like it was so it was it was marginal there and I just feel like was there anything extra for Jake in those times that like he could have been the difference or that like or like that moment was was like something he missed because those were his two injuries I mean I think at the end of the day and I I think this is how you want me to take this but you know, he's always going to view his ability to be in a game as being a positive thing. Yeah. Um, so his ability to contribute both physically and I think um, what has been proven over the years when people call him like Coach Funk or when he is even a sophomore, he's getting chosen to go out um, to lead the special teams, you know, be the special teams captain for the week. Like he's carrying himself and doing things that go beyond his physical ability. Um he is somebody that ideally spreads positivity. He is his his um, his ability to control the controllables is something that should be contagious to others. So when we talk about like energy, effort, um, your, your enthusiasm, positivity, things that you can choose every day. Um, ideally, that creates this this cascade. And I think he's always been that kind of a player. Um, so outside of just him being able to physically be there for his team, being somebody that through the peak and a valley of a game, ideally can continue to contribute to the team um, moving forward and, and staying focused, say on, on the next play or making sure that, um, you know, we're not getting too high or too low. You know, their big thing this year is, is getting back to neutral and staying even keeled. And um, I think, you know, when you have a guy like that, whose, whose impact goes beyond just his, his physical self on the field um, that you always like to think that with him, on the field and contributing, it's only going to, uh, you know, return, uh, you know, two X or three X uh, of what it normally would be just because he's bringing those inta- those intangible benefits. Yeah. It might be the Homer in me, but Ohio state, I don't know if it changes, but temple, we win that game with your brother in there. There were three attempts inside the <laughs> one yard line. And that's, that's where I want Jake Funk run the ball. That's where I want. Um, yeah. So, you know, He's got a nice knack for uh, just finding seams. He's just always been able to do that. You remember looking back at film, even when he was young, and just going like, how did he even see that? He sees things 
that I, you know, I, I know everybody talks about vision and sometimes, you know, I'm not a running back, so it's very, very hard for me to really critically break things down. But being able to sit there and remember some of the moments where we're sitting and watching film with my dad, both youth and in high school, and you're just like, how the heck did you even see that? You know, so I'm with you. I mean, I'd like to think that maybe there was a couple more uh, wins for the Terps if, if, if he had been back on the field in those situations. Yeah. Um, did Jake ever think about hanging it up with these injuries, man? It looks like he's just like the little engine that could that never gave up. But was there ever that moment? I mean, you were there for all of it. Yeah, no, there, I mean, honestly, wasn't, I, I think at the end of the day, it, you know, having self-doubt is one thing, having fear is another. Um, but when I think when you allow those to take away from your routine and process, if you want to call it, uh, more of a, this, this buzzword, but he never deviated from the standard operating procedures in which he conducted himself. So although he was going through periods of, uh, of self-doubt at, at different times, um, I think probably more so post-surgically, uh, you know, in that, in that acute phase, rather than as we were getting back into a, uh, you know, uh, I, I should say higher level activity, um, mm-hmm. that he never wavered. When you talk about somebody that really allows self-doubt to carry over into something that can be negative, that's when um, maybe they're taking days off or they're deviating from how they uh, commit to routine, sleep, nutrition, um, the things that I'm doing to prepare myself physically on a field or in the weight room. Uh, and then all the little things that I think he does such a tremendous job of as well, which is regards to just little affirmations, like reminding yourself of what you're able to do, reminding yourself of what you're in control of um, at that given moment, at that given day. Um, and even no different than a, you know, a conversation uh, you're having even this morning a little bit where you will never be in this position again. So you're either going to make the most of whatever position you're in right now, or it's going to be something that hang continues to hang on your shoulders. And ideally every single day, whatever that self-doubt was and that fear shedding it, right? It's like, it's like I have a, a, I have multiple shirts on and I just keep shedding shirts and I just want to get back to the one that, that I'm, that I'm, that I'm used to, um, that it's, 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 it's an analogy where say you're, um, carrying a burden, right? You're, 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 if you continue to carry that burden around and you don't shed the, the self-doubt and, and some of the fear that, um, sometimes will, will, will keep people from having the same kind of ex- success again, um, then obviously he wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to get back to where he was at right now. Did Jake ever consider uh, training elsewhere where it's always like the family's going to circle the wagons and we're going to take care of our own? I think at the end of the day, without divulging too much, there was a lot of people involved in this process. So um, although Maryland is involved, although I'm involved, um, I would consider the people at Maryland to have a big network. I would say that Mm -hmm. I have a big network. So when I look at, um, once again, when we talk about collaboration of care, there were multiple different people who I could look back um, and say have all been involved in a process of this uh, in, in, in a more direct or sometimes indirect role. So um, you can you can say the word consultant, but um, I have enough, uh, I'd say just at least humility to always say more eyes on a given situation is typically better than just mine or even just myself uh, in Maryland. So just being fortunate that um, I have the ability to reach out to people and have some people in my corner to audit processes and audit how things are going, I think has been really, really um, tremendous to have. So 
although the list would be lengthy with regards to the people that I'd like to just say thank you to. Um, and, you know, Jake, obviously, as, uh, as well, would, would know a lot of those people um, that they, they probably know who they are if they're listening to this. That makes sense. So the um, again, as a registered nurse, I see people in some of their hardest times and they're not the nicest people because of that. So working with family in a stressful situation like that would would prove very challenging to me. What was the hardest part of working with family in, the, in this scenario? Man, I think the hardest part um, is probably the psychological side of things. Um, when you have that mental and emotional relationship and you can continually stay connected with somebody and you want to continually stay connected with somebody through the process, it's a little bit more challenging. It's not to say that you don't have the same level of connectivity. Um, well, you don't with, with every single person that you interact with, but obviously there's a disconnect at some point, typically when they leave the four walls of your facility, right? So for you, from a nursing standpoint, whatever facility you're working with, you try to connect as much as possible, all right? You're, you're um, engaging with that individual. You're getting to know them. You're displaying your soft skills, right? And your emotional intelligence, so to speak, during those time periods. But for me, there was never any disconnect. He could leave a session five minutes later and I could check in with him. He could check in with me. Um, so it adds a whole different dynamic to the, the process. And I think that's something that, um, you know, obviously physical rehab is a big part, but I, I've, I've talked about this a couple of times. You have a, an objective part of rehab. You have a subjective part of rehab with regards to the, the physical preparation side of things. Um, and then there are things from a psychological standpoint that sometimes are, are harder to objectify, but you're doing your best to make sure that there are things that you typically like to see in somebody returning um, from an injury. So um, appreciating all the different dynamics that were going on. I mean, honestly, I think there was even more dynamics last year where you had a new head coach, new running back coach, new offensive coordinator, um, just coming off of a time period where there was a hardship with regards to, um, you know, a player on their team, uh, unfortunately yeah. passing. So McNair. there were some things probably more in that 2018, 2019 uh, uh, time frame that were even more to manage. This year, yeah. just the biggest curveball we had to manage was his, uh, you know, inability to connect as much with staff at school um, and him just being a lot more uh, dependent on myself and our team for, for routine. So you think the was the first rehab more of a physical challenge to learn these skills and the second was more of a psychological, like, to get back into doing it because he already knew what the rehab process was? I think for him, the intrinsic pressure of the first rehab was probably the greatest because okay. he's he wanted to get back and he wanted to prove himself. And I'm not, like, obviously suggesting that um, – you know, you're, you're trying to do anything other than what is best at any given moment. But I think sometimes the psychological pressure that somebody puts on one oneself can put them in a position where they're just pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope. We had more time this second go around. And I think he, there was less pressure because he felt like the people in the staff knew him. They knew how he operated and they knew the value that he could provide to the team. And it's not to say they didn't have some idea of that um, last year. And in the, in the, and in the time building up to this, the, the fall 2019 season, but he felt a lot less of a push to get back to prove um, to others. This year was more of a push to get back to prove to himself 
that he could do it. He already knew how much confidence the people that he was getting back to had in him. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes total sense. I mean, with with the first injury, he was coming back to a team that they were continually stacking NFL caliber running backs, as we have come to see. And so this year, he came back kind of knowing, if you do your job, you're going to be the man. And yeah. and he did his job, and he certainly was the man of that Minnesota game. <laughs> yeah, his relationship's better, like, with, you know, Brooks and, you know, Coach Montgomery and um, even even Locks. I mean, just you get more touch points around people, and they really know how you operate, and then there's more trust, and then there's just a different dialogue that happens. And, and um, you, can, you can use the word, you know, assurance, but he just had a lot more external and internal assurance that he wasn't having to prove anything um, as much, except for just to just prove to himself that he was capable of what he thought he was capable of. So um, you combine that with uh, extra time this year. Um, and I think, you know, having three months extra when you when you talk about ACL rehab is obviously very, very important. You know, you have time and criteria, time and criteria, and it's the continual juggling act between um, the two of those. Uh, it, it, it really put us in a, a great position this year where I remember like the season starting later and we both looked at each, o- each other and went like, wow, well, this is just an added benefit. You know, like you can't beat this. You're going to start camp a, a month later. You're going to get a month more even than we thought you were going to get. So yeah. um, there's just a lot of things that I think 2020 um, has almost been a gift to him with regards to some of the things that have gone on. He's one of the lucky few that 2020 was a gift for then. <laughs> um, yeah, man, but make, make of it what you can. You know what I mean? It's true. Like, you got you to make the best out of everything. Your family had such a unique um, viewpoint of this whole season. Very few people were allowed to see these Big Ten games in person. Um, what was your experience like in these empty 100,000-person stadiums? Sounds kind of crazy, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you, uh, you look back at what Jake was able to even have like in, in high school. And I think there were allowed to be less fans at the games than Jake would have at a high school football game. So it was just, yeah, there's only 2000 very- allowed for the big 10. And I don't even know if it ever got to 2000, any of those games. <laughs> and I think in terms of parents and like family and stuff, it was four per team. So you had, you know, 120 players for, you know, you got the other team. I mean, it's, it's a small amount. You got a Damascus, like high school football games, like packed house. Um, yeah. You know, there's maybe 1500, 2000, 2500 people in the stands, unless it's a rivalry game, there might even be even more. So it's, you know, it's a different dynamic. I think at the end of the day, um, you're probably going to see who, who loves football, right? Who loves playing for their teammates, who loves playing for themselves um, and who might maybe like to just, perform a little bit more and, and need that that audience so to speak um and it's not to say that you have a ton of guys like that but some people just might need a little bit more uh crowd motivation in order to, to get hyped and get up for games but i think at the end of the day a lot of the athletes um and I'll, i'm not going to name any names but we're very fortunate to support more than just jake um in the off season this year um and more more terps than just football players but a lot of the athletes were able to perform this fall are very, very happy just to have the opportunity. Um, Sometimes looking at everything that you can't or are not able to do 
obviously it's negative. Like why even focus on that? Be grateful for what you can do. Be grateful for what you do have. Yes, it's a deviation. It's not to say that you can't acknowledge it, but um, I think when you get up the mindset where you're, you know, doing things in a a certain way that are the the best with regards to your output, the more that you can control um, how grateful for you you are and how appreciative you are of that opportunity, the more likely you're just going to go into gameplay more with this just level head and you're going to take everything um, probably, uh, you know, a lot better because you're starting from a foundation of positivity and optimism. So unfortunately, the COVID effect this year did not end um, with empty stadiums for Maryland. We did have 23 positive COVID players. Uh, what's Jake's been experience been through all this? Uh, it's just another hiccup. I think at the end of the day, like you got bumps in the road and you got people once again that are going to hit the pause button. But for Jake, uh, you know, it, it was it was, hey, what 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 can I do? So um not saying that he's somebody that's always just going to kind of push the envelope, but he's going to try to adhere to a routine as best as he can. So during a time period in which his routine was disrupted, how can I adhere to a routine knowing that I'm going to have the opportunity again at some point? If you put the pause button on, you could view that as detraining if we just talk about the physical side. So he wanted to make sure that during that time period, he did not go through um, a detraining period. So he was trying to figure out the best way to to structure himself, and I think when everybody you know sees this team play again on the Rutgers game, and, and when Jake's on the field, you know you you shouldn't expect anything really any different than what you saw um, in the in the earlier part of the season. Whereas he could have very easily um, potentially allowed that routine to to knock him back a few pegs, get into more of a detraining state, and potentially seeing something that we haven't been used to seeing in the beginning of the season. So, um, you know, it's everybody keeps using the word pivot this year. Um, you know, it's more for me, I, I just kind of get sick of that word, you know, shift and adapt, right? You, uh, you got to be a chameleon at certain times and um, your ability to be effective is going to depend on your ability to, to shift and ideally find parallels between uh, what you were used to. Uh, and now knowing that at some point you're going to get that ability to express everything that you've been working for. I already feel like Jake's been uh, at Maryland my whole life, but if there is another year of eligibility because of this COVID situation, you see Jake coming back? I think at the end of the day, the biggest thing that he's going to have to figure out is the academic side more than the athletic side. So um, he will be somebody that is on track to graduate with his master's at the end of next spring. Um, I don't know what the academic um, benefit of another year would be. To be quite honest, he's somebody, people might've forgot it. He graduated early. He graduated his undergrad in three and a half years um, and has already been working on that master. So he's somebody that, you know, once again, you bring up like professional tendencies, uh, the way you do anything, the way you do everything. Um, He's obviously putting in work in the classroom. Um, He knows that at some point in his life, football will end for him and he's preparing for that stage. But he's trying to maximize and, and do everything that he can from a football standpoint. And should he decide to come back next year, I think a big thing will just be kind of navigating um, what opportunities are, are present uh, academically, what he's able to work on with the academic advisors um, to put himself in a situation where, um, you know, there, there, there's honestly just just the ability, because I think there's maybe a little bit uncertainty of, of what that process um, would look like from a school standpoint. Yeah, and we'll, would put him in a good spot for post-athletic success like we talked about. So 100%. your 
your post athletic success is this rehab to perform. What's next for you guys? What are you working on? Keep, why don't you plug your plug your spot? Yeah, I mean, for us, just, you know, if you're not really familiar, think of a, a more of a fitness focused healthcare environment. And yes, physical rehab is the kind of the bread and butter of what we do. Um, so physical therapy, sports rehabilitation, think about people. Um, honestly, like we see a ton of people that are fire, uh, you know, fire department. They're working for the police, SWAT, your more uh, occupational style athletes where their body um, is something that they depend on on a regular basis. Um, but people who are looking to get the most out of their body, we are a tremendous place for you. If you're looking for a place where you're not just focused on getting you back to baseline, but you have certain demands, um, that you need or that you're expecting from yourself perform for life is our tagline. So ideally by experiencing our company and all of the different, um, things that we have to offer, you're in a position where you're becoming 2.0 of yourself, um, through the uh, educational process, the engagement uh, of, of being with uh, being around our company, uh, ideally we'll have some level of empowerment that will put you in the driver's seat to be your best self. That's great. So I got a couple more questions just from the fans. We're all done with what I got going on. I'm not sure you're going to answer all of them from going through this. Um, one was talking about how you have your own performance center. Um, so do you have any high school JUCO kids that we should be keeping our eyes out? They're going to be big time athletes, whether it's for the Terps or elsewhere in the future. Gosh, unfortunately, I'm not allowed to actually tell you. Names, I figure right? that's where we would go. So we're going to, yeah, as I, I agree, this is going to be a HIPAA issue of who's being treated here. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what I will say. Um, we have a ton of the area's best high school athletes that we've supported. Um, we supported, uh, if we just talk about football, SEC, ACC, MAC, Ivy League, Big Ten, we didn't have any. We didn't have any Pac-12, um, and we didn't have any uh, Big 12. Actually, no, we had no. We had West Virginia. So we've uh, we've really uh, supported the DMV's best athletes. Being a company that spans more than one location, um, being in two counties in which. Well, unfortunately, we had a couple of technical difficulties there to wrap up the interview, but man. What a well-spoken guy. Uh, got a lot going on, doing a lot of good uh, for this Maryland Terps athletic program, starting with his brother, Jake. That was a great interview. Well-spoken guy. Can't thank Josh enough for taking the time to sit down with you. Well done. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Like I said, the connectivity issue, uh, cut it cut it a little quick there at the end. Um, but uh, it, can't thank him enough for his time. Went really well while we had him on. Really got some cool insight, and I think – I think it was well worth, and I, I, I found it interesting just his post-athletic career and, and some of the options that I didn't really know was available, especially for high school athletes around the area. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking for something like that, um, please look up Rehab to Perform. Um, seems like he's doing really big things for a lot of people, talking about you know Power 5 conferences all across the country that he's uh, got kids committed to that have been treated there. So I, I, I think that it was, uh, it was well worth our time. Yeah, for sure. Appreciate him taking the time. Let's let's shift gears a little bit. I know football is obviously the the forefront, but you know, we we haven't talked a lot about the men's basketball squad. Basketball season tipped off. Terps started off pretty good and granted hasn't been against the top echelon of talent so far. Uh but look, Terps are 4-0 to start this year doing good things on the hardwood. 
Yeah, again, this is another thing. It's been hard to get motivated. I mean, you have five games canceled already, so it's we you can, it's impossible to preview a game this year. Yeah. Um, but what we have seen is a coach that's adapting to his players, which yeah. is something that people have accused him of not doing. Um, we're seeing the full court press and trap a lot. What like you're going to have to do, you're going to have to do when you lack when you lack the size down low and you're more of an athletic team, you're going to have to rely on your athleticism to create turnovers so that you don't get dominated down in the paint. And that's I think that was one of Gary's absolute strong points that it's been something that you and I have talked about in the past we've missed since Gary's been gone so it has been refreshing and it's felt good to see it again it's an exciting brand of basketball it's not the only way to win but it's an exciting brand of basketball you don't feel like you're out ever because weird runs happen when you play like that exactly (laughs) you can score you know 12 points in 30 seconds just if the ball bounces right right so it's it's a lot of fun to watch uh, where we lack is exactly where we thought we lack. Our five spot is not going to be equal with the rest of the Big Ten. Uh, Galen Smith is a, a pleasant surprise, doing much more than he was doing in Alabama. Yeah. Um, apparently, he was ill-used down there. He's He looks pretty you know, sturdy. Uh, Dante Scott is a very strong defender in, in the post and down low. Um, but Chol is... Still years behind. I mean, for for seven foot two, he's playing small. Yeah, I agree with that. It, he, we talked about, you know, when Jalen Smith got here, they called him sticks, right? They needed to put on the size. You got to see the same thing with Chol. I, I get it. He's got a lot of injury to come back from, and he's still working through that. Uh, and he's got a long wingspan. So, I mean, literally, all he's got to do is stand there to grab some boards and put easy putbacks back. But he just he doesn't have the power in his lower half to really be able to use his size to advantage. So I'd like to see some areas improvement there. I think that the for me the biggest thing with this squad going into this year is is we didn't have that guy. You know, over the over the last I'd say ten years or so, you know, with Gravis Vasquez and Melo Tremble and, and Anthony Cowan, right? We had that that go to guy. This is a squad of a bunch of guys. You understand what I'm saying? Like they don't have that one guy that stands out to me. It could be Aaron Wiggins on one night. It could be Eric Ayala on another night. It could be, you know, Daryl Morcel on another night. I it don't was think heart. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Is One of the factors that I really didn't have the highest expectations for, one of the players I didn't have the highest expectations for, was Hakeem Hart. And a lot of that came from just watching him last year. He didn't look comfortable. His shooting motion is awkward. Uh, and he didn't have a whole lot of playing time. So it was a small sample size last year. And so far, when he first started first couple games this year, it kind of looked the same. But, man... Last was a Friday night. He goes out there and plays against St. Peter's and all the hype that this kid had in, in, in up in uh, Philadelphia about his ability to shoot the ball came to fruition as he went for 33 against St. Peter's. Yeah, on like 86% shooting. Yeah. <laughs> really high percentage from three. The kid couldn't miss. Um, it, again, if you can have that that kind of contribution from around the court, all those guys, you're going to win a lot of games. I right. don't I don't know if we'll be taking down, cutting down the nets for the Big Ten Championship, but this will be a fun season to watch. And if you're a tournament team this year, it's a win. That's, right. That's we we all cried and whined that we missed the tournament last year. So I just want to see him playing in March. That's that's my goal. And that's the big question: Does this team have the the type of players to make a run at a tournament? Uh, we'll 
we'll, we'll know over the next week or two because they've got some big tests coming up. They've got the first ACC game in Clemson, then their first Big Ten game against Rutgers, uh, whose Rutgers is actually ranked this year. They're ranked 24th in the country. Uh, and then a couple of days later, they're going up against number four team in the country in Wisconsin. So over this course of uh, the next couple of weeks of December, they've got some tough games that will really test the moxie of this team and kind of tell us where this team put, uh, uh, lays. Yeah, and going back to Troll, because I don't want to, I don't want to harp on Troll like I see out there. Troll is put in an unfortunate situation that he is following two big men that immediately produced. Yeah, you had produce production out of out of uh, Smith Sticks. You had production out of production out of Bruno Fernando. That has not been the usual scenario for Maryland. Most of our big men have been developmental cases. It's been players that only contribute in their junior and senior year. Even look at Alex Len, who made it to the NBA. He he was not contribute contributing at all in his freshman and sophomore years. He right. grew into the player that he became. So yes, we need him now. And so that's why the added pressure is there. And when you get a guy that was once rated a five star, you're hoping for the moon. You're hoping for like a one and done. Just come here, win me a dash championship and go play in the NBA. Right. But what I think we're going to get from him is four to five years of play that hopefully continues to get better and we can build around him in the future. But right now, he is what he is. He's a, a contributing place of minutes, and he picks up fouls for us very nicely. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. Uh, well, the new wave of players coming in, uh, you know, we had a couple of guards, freshman guards that have been getting some minutes, Marcus Dockery and Aquan Smart. Both kids have shown some early okay. promise. They look good to me. I think the future's bright at the guard position for this Maryland squad. Uh, it's definitely a lot of the question marks are going to be uh, the the big men. You know that that's going to be the, the the tell of whether this team is an NIT tournament team or an NCAA tournament team. And we can't forget that we have another piece that we just found out is joining us mid season. That's right. Uh, with James Graham the third uh, is foregoing his senior year, uh, graduating early and coming into College Park. This is really big because this year in basketball, the uh, year of eligibility doesn't count. So this is a free six months for this guy to get in. Right. Um, Turgeon is saying this is not about winning games this year. This is not about production this year. If that happens, that's a plus. What he wanted to do is he wanted to get him in, get him into the nutrition program, into the weight room, and get him prepared for a really big, what would normally be a true freshman season uh, for next year. So it's either great for development and hopefully a little bit of plus this year, but uh, highly rated. It says power forward in high school. He's 6'8", 210. He's going to be playing more of the three. He's more of the Daryl Morsell role. Got a good jump shot, man. The kids can shoot the ball for sure. Yeah. So, but it could could very well could very well help us this year and will help us next year. So that's that's a big piece to consider with a basketball team. Yeah, man. I, I'm excited for this team. Maybe nationally they're not getting a whole lot of pub and they're not getting a whole lot of hype, but I think this team's got some depth. Uh, especially at the guard position, they they're shooting at a much higher clip uh, percentage wise. They're I think shooting uh, somewhere around fifty sixty percent from the field. It's ridiculous right now. That's something we haven't seen in years. Even when we've had those go to guys, those big name guys, this is going to be more of a collective effort, more of a team effort. And I'm not going to say that this team's going to make a deep NCAA run or anything. But so far from what I've seen in the Big Ten. I don't see anything that really scares me outside of the tree trunks of Garza. 
Yes, Iowa is pretty intimidating. Outside of Garza, <laughs> the rest of them is pretty good, too. And Garza would have been a top 10 NBA pick most years of our lives, just not now. Right. <laughs> so yeah, you can put his name on the uh, National Player of the Year trophy now. He is a dominant force in the NCAA. For sure. For, uh, just when you look at this, you know, Big Ten conference, though, you got Wisconsin at number four. You got Michigan State at number eight. You got Ohio State, who's ranked 23rd in the country. Like we mentioned, Rutgers 24th. Yes, we these watched are, Wisconsin together the other day. Yeah. I, it does not look good. Nothing, Maybe they're good. Maybe they'll beat the snot out of us. They weren't good last year when they beat us. Yeah. But but they just I wasn't scared of any of it. Right. <laughs> I, I, I think Maryland can compete with any of these teams. You know, Garza is going to be the big challenge because we don't have the big body to be able to bang with him. And he's scored 40 against everybody right now at this point. Uh, so, yes, I was Dante Scott trying to limit him, but yeah. obviously he's going to get his between Galen Smith and Dante Scott using their size and using their fouls wisely against him. Uh, that's going to be the only way that you can you can You're get not attention. Troll is the one that fouls for us. <laughs> yeah. Well, Troll is another one as well. It's going to be the three of them, I guess, using their twelve fouls between the three of them, or or no, fifteen fouls between the three of them. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see because Garza was a guy that we got under his skin a little bit last year. So if we can do that same thing this year, who knows? Maybe we can hang with Iowa. Yeah, but I think that also the. Fans were able to eat Garza alive too at home, and right. there's unless a lot of things change, there's no fans at home. That is true. <laughs> that is very true. Well, listen, can't thank you guys enough for tuning in. As always, again, special thank you to Doctor Josh Funk uh, for taking the time to sit down with Ryan and uh, kind of go in depth on everything. Really, really appreciate that. Uh, if you haven't already, make sure you follow us on all of our social media platforms. You can follow everything at Shell and Tell. It's on Facebook. It's on Twitter. You can follow Ryan at Terps B. Espert on Twitter. You can follow me at Fred BLBS on Twitter. Uh, you can send in questions. If you've got anything, comments, questions that you want to hear us talk about on the show, send, send that to our email at shellandtellpod at gmail.com. Ryan, sign us off. Well, we got a lot of competitors this year, but the number one competitor is COVID. And like our governor, Larry Hogan, has said, if you love your Terps, wear the damn mask. Wear Until it. next time, here's to wishing all is well under the shell. <laughs>